1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Ashley. And Ashley was raised by a narcissistic mother who neglected her well-being as a child so she could live a carefree life. It's a story of parentification and the realization of how dysfunctional your childhood really was when you become an adult. And now, before we get to our episode with Ashley, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you haven't been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show and be a guest on this show. Go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and fill out the guest form and we will go from there. But the quickest way to be part of the show is to also go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and to read a letter to your narcissist and to be part of our letters to our narcissist compilation episode number three. We have a voicemail recorder on our website to record. Go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. It's on the right side of the page and it's always floating around. It's hard to miss. There's a button there that says send voicemail. I'll press it and away you'll go we are accumulating these letters to have a volume three of that episode so send in those voicemails and if you want me or my old pal melissa to read your letter instead just send it to narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com other new things that are going on, we are now offering high-conflict parenting courses that can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we now have partnered with an online parenting company, and many of the courses we are offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you have listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these high-conflict individuals in court, and he's now helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children, too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country, so if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. And a couple more things, a few more things, maybe. Uh, We have a new podcast, Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. It's now available for your listening pleasure. Our first episode, first 10 episodes have been released. We're recording a new episode tomorrow, and I will be getting hypnotized for this episode by Colleen Marie. I'm nervous and excited at the same time. So this, this episode should be interesting. And if you are looking for a therapist or coach like the ones on our Q&A podcast, please do go to abusetherapy.org. And abusetherapy.org, you can find... Uh, therapists and coaches who specialize in narcissistic abuse. And if we do not have someone in your area, please let us know and we will help find someone for you using abusetherapy.org. helps support the show. But do you know what else helps support the show? Our Patreon. Yes, we have started a Patreon. If you want to hear episodes that never made it to air, follow-up episodes with former guests, and much, much more, join our Patreon. We'll be releasing new content on there every week. So to help support the show, become a patron of our Patreon at patreon.com slash And last thing. We've started an Instagram channel, not just a YouTube channel anymore, an Instagram channel. And we started making fun pop culture narcissist-based videos on there as well. And yesterday we released a new one about the power of storytelling. And I discussed the healing process using the formula that we use on this show when guests come on. So if you want to help yourself feel less shame, I teach you how we go through that formula. So check out that video on Instagram under narcissist apocalypse, and now it's time for me to get out of my own way and your way. Here is my conversation with Ashley. Welcome to narcissist apocalypse, and with me today, we have Ashley. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How are you today?
1: I am good, and today you're going to share a story of your narcissistic parent, your mother, and it's the first one of these stories that we've had in a while, so thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story with me and everyone today, and I'm just going to get it out of my way and your way, and thank you. The floor is now yours.
0: Thank you. Um, interestingly enough, today is my mother's birthday. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, <laughs> coincidentally, today is her birthday. Um, so this will be the second, no, second or third birthday that I have been no contact with her for the most part. Um, yeah, so interesting day.
1: Uh, um, well. It's, uh, have you, I guess before we even get into that, are is this day trouble for you mentally?
0: A little bit. Yes. Because I think, um, the last thing I've really heard from her was I got a pretty big letter from her, several page letter and a package around, it was right after Christmas. I think it was in the first year that I was no contact. Um, it's kind of telling me how horrible I was for not contacting her on her birthday and Mother's Day. Um, So it feels a little harsh. And also in that letter, she had sent me um, all of my childhood photos, all the childhood photos that she had of me, every birthday card, any Christmas card, anything I'd ever given to her. And all of my pictures were all in this package. Just I'm telling you how horrible I was. So it's a little bit of a triggering day for me today.
1: And I guess doing this show hopefully will be a, hopefully a little bit of a cathartic experience for you on this day and um, so. give you some comfort.
0: Thank you. I think, I think it will. I think, and I've had some friends that have encouraged me to, to really get the story out there and I've never put it out in this much of a bundle bundled up kind of way. So, and well, I, I, just really wanted to put it out there too, for other people that have narcissistic parents and other people that feel like they can't speak out and feel like they can't go no contact, but want to, and, um, hopefully be as encouraging as other people have been to me.
1: Well, thank you for, uh, coming to share your story with everyone because it's been a while for this type of story. Um, and to do it on such a vulnerable bit, vulnerable day, um, (laughs) you know, uh, so thank thank you, and I know this must be difficult, yeah. but um, I'll I'll be here if you need me. I just might be silent. Right, I, I just it. might be silent for a while.
0: Okay, okay, um, and I think maybe starting out, I'll I'll start out kind of where I first realized something was off in my family. Um, I think I grew up pretty normal, I guess, seemingly normal. I guess everyone thinks their childhood is normal at first. Um, I'm the middle child. I'm the only daughter. Um, I have a younger brother and an older brother. Older brother is a half-brother. He did not live with us. He came about every weekend or so, and I never really knew why until much later. Um, younger brother and myself were two years apart. Lived in the house. My parents stayed together till I was about 13. Um, and I think that the first time I really noticed something wasn't right was when I was in elementary school, I was around, um, maybe seven years old and I went to a very small country school, a very tiny school. And then all of a sudden all of my friends, you know, which I have two or three, it was such a small school, people just stopped speaking to me and treating me differently Things weren't quite right for a couple of years. Um, It was really hard for me. I was doing poorly in school, feeling like an outsider. Um, When I was nine years old, on my ninth birthday, I was really excited. I was going to turn double digits, going to have this big 10-year-old kid birthday party. Um, I wanted to make it a big deal. I wanted to invite all my friends from school that I still thought liked me, but didn't really talk to me much. And I remember getting a box of birthday invitations and sitting at the table with this box of invitations and my mom, telling you know, making my list of all the kids we were going to send invitations to. And there was one particular friend that had been my absolute best friend that didn't talk to me anymore. And my mom said, I just don't think you should send her an invitation. She's not going to come. And I just remember bursting into tears and saying, I don't understand. Why don't my friends like me anymore? What's going on? And I ran in the other room dramatically like a nine-year-old. And I remember my mom coming in and sitting down with me and saying, well, I think it's time, I guess, it's probably time. You're old enough. for me to know the truth. And she then told me about how when my best friend's mother had been in the hospital, um, my mom started an affair with my best friend's father. And these things happen. I understand that. But I don't, looking back on it now, I don't think it's appropriate to tell your nine-year-old daughter how horrible her dad has been, and why you felt justified in cheating with her best friend's father. <laughs> so that was kind of a big blow up in my life. Um, I remembered back a couple of years ago when I, this had supposedly taken place. That seeing my parents having a lot of fighting, putting being able to put that all together, so um, it just really really stands up to me now is that whole you're old enough to understand this. You're so mature. You'll get it. And thinking that's an okay thing to tell a nine-year-old. And that kind of became a theme with things of her using this. You're so mature. You just, you already, you can handle it. You've got it. You've got it. Um, To allow me to do very inappropriate things for my age. And those inappropriate things that I was doing, I think allowed me to be out of the house to let her not, have to parents in a way It's kind of how I put it together. Now I think my mom wasn't a person that tried to control me or control my, um, actions and make my identity for me. She was very competitive of me though. Um, if like, if I took dance classes, she had to take dance classes and she had to take more of them and do it better. Um, and not be bothered though, if I was performing or anything. it was all about her. Um, And then so later on, I think when I was about 13, when my parents, you know, and there were other things along the years, but that was probably a big one. And then when I was about 13, um, my parents were still very rocky. The house was awkward. Nobody really talked. Nobody really hung out much. We would have vacations and things, but it was still, there was just a, they just lived in that same house, I think. Um. My mom ended up going back to school. She got a job. She started going out on the weekends with her friends from work a lot. My dad would stay home with us. My dad didn't say much. He was pretty grumpy, I think, because of their rocky relationship. I was withdrawing because I was 13. I was starting, I think, to get a little bit rebellious, and I had no structure from my parents, really. Um, Riding the bus home from school one day, and I would think I was a it was either 8th or ninth grade. So it was either the last year of middle school or the first year of high school. Pretty sure it was the last year of middle school. A senior high school guy on the bus looped in. I think he saw I was an easy target, looped in and became my boyfriend for two years. So I would have been 13 and he was 18. Um, super inappropriate relationship. Um, and around the same time, my parents got divorced and they were splitting up. My mom had done a good job of several years of grooming me, I think because my dad was a pretty grumpy. Um, he could get, he had a lot of anger. Now I can see why, because he lived with her. But she used his anger to groom me to hate him. Um, so over the years, I had kind of developed this, you know, he's so mean, he has rules. My mom was always, you know, you're so much grown up. You don't need rules. You can take care of yourself. You're fine. You're different than other kids. You're okay. It's fine for you to have this relationship with an older guy. It's okay. Um, so around that time, they split up, so I went to live with her. She and I lived in an apartment. My younger brother stayed with my father. Um, I still had been sort of at the beginning of this relationship, and over time, this guy who was legally an adult, um, over those couple of years, really just, it gradually happened that he, you know, was very jealous, very verbally abusive, um, you know, look, your parents aren't around, nobody loves you but me, nobody's going to love you but me, I'm 13, I just want someone to love me. He, you know, gets more and more physically, emotionally, and then sexually abusive. And my mother encouraged this relationship. Um, she was only home maybe about half the week she would go and stay at her new boyfriend's house. Um, and I, as a 13, 14 year old kid kind of fell apart. Um, EPS got called to my school at one point to question me about this relationship. Um, cause I guess someone, a teacher had heard me talking to friends. Um, I thought it was all normal. I thought I was a grown-up kid and I could handle it, and he was right and I was
1: wrong. And um. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And over those couple years, years, uh, you know, it just got so bad. I remember being, I would have been freshman and sophomore in high school, and it was, you know, he would tell me down to what I was allowed to wear to school, how I had to pull my hair back, how I had to not talk to anyone else. Um, it was pretty bad. Um, I don't know how deep I should get into that. How bad that was. Um, were you going to say something?
1: Um, well, before you got to that part, I was just going to say that, you know, part of your mom's grooming process was Uh before that even happened, you know, when you were nine years old, just by telling you how mature you are as a way to create this, uh, is it a defense mechanism of some sort of like, when someone questions you, you're like, Oh, I can handle this. I'm mature. You know, these, these adult things are now going on in my life that I should not be, um, in like in this specific relationship. I can handle this. Even though I'm 13 yeah. years old, I'm mature. Those are seeds that have been sown in you early on as oh, if, I believed it. Yeah. As if your mom knew, that she wanted a uh, a freer life of any responsibility it sounds at this point uh-huh. and has put those thoughts sure. in your mind so you don't mind being alone, but you don't yes. but yeah, but you don't understand fully at all what that means because internally you are lonely
0: i'm a child yes yes i'm a child um and that I think that was really um she, we always had this buddy relationship. She wasn't a mother. She was a buddy. Um, she, you know, in reading years later about how we would have very open talks about our sexual relationships with men. You know, like it was funny and it was perfectly appropriate to laugh about things like that with your mom when you're 14, 15, 17, eight, whatever. Um, she was this buddy that I thought, you know, was on my side and was an equal. Um, And with that, it wasn't until many years later, you know, I'd had this anger towards this guy that abused me for years, That it, it was two different things. It was going to therapy later and having a therapist explain these horrible things this man did to me when I was 13 That the therapist said your mother sexually abused you by putting you hand delivering you to this man. She would drop me off at his home. You know, her 13, 14-year-old daughter dropped me off at his house and leave me there for days. And there were no cell phones back then. There was no, you know, she was out running around with her boyfriend. I couldn't get a hold of her if I tried to. Um, there just wasn't that kind of communication or technology to do that.
1: So, um, So when child services came... Uh, what did you say mm-hmm. to them? They came to my school. When they came to your school, what did you say to them?
0: I, I said nothing. They said, you know, we have this teacher that says that, you know, your mom's leaving you alone with an adult male that you're having a relationship with. Is that true? And I just said, it's not true. Mm-hmm. I just lied. Um, I just lied and said it wasn't true. But
1: And they never the came...
0: Go ahead. Sorry.
1: They they never came uh, back after that? uh, They never came to the home.
0: They never came to the home. They never followed through. Um, They came to my school. They took me out of class. It was a police officer and what I'm guessing was a social worker. And I think there may have been um, the assistant principal or school principal or something like that from the school might have been there. Um, it's, that's a little foggy. I remember just sobbing uncontrollably after that, thinking I was going to get taken away from my mom. Um, and a teacher that was a really good person in my life, you know, consoling me about that, but that's there. I don't remember any kind of follow through. I don't think they ever contacted my mother. Even. Um, I don't know. She may, they may have contacts to her and she just didn't tell me. That's all I know is that they came to my school, they took me out of class, they taught me and that was all. And there was no follow up. And
1: at this time, do you still think that your mom is uh everything is like this is normal? And that, yes, that your mom and that your mom is a good mom to you still at this point?
0: Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Um Yeah, she was she's great. She's my best friend. She's awesome. This guy is bad to me but i won't say anything because i'm scared of him because he's abusing me um but you know she never once stepped in she saw me crying she saw bruises on me she saw these things she knew something was wrong but she never once said anything she would make a towards the end when it got really bad um you know it got to the point where he would pick me up from school he wasn't working anymore because out of school at that point but he, I was not allowed to take the bus to school anymore he would pick me up and drop me off um, he would go through my purse he would go through my books he went through everything at the end of the day to make sure that I didn't have notes from other guys that I was I, I can remember one day having a notebook that I torn a corner out to like maybe I don't maybe spit gum out into or something um, but he took that corner ripped out of a notebook to mean I'd written my number down for a guy. So I was a slut. I was a whore. I was disgusting. I was just anything you could imagine. <laughs> um, so that was the relationship that I was living in. And to tell me that you don't know that your 13 or 14-year-old daughter is living in this every single day for a couple of years is bullshit. You don't. You know. And I have definitely to some extent put some blame on my father, too, because he wasn't around much. I saw him, I think, maybe every other weekend, if that. I think he knew something was wrong, and I think I've always said the big difference that's always been is that many years later, my dad sat me down and apologized to me and said, I should have done a better job, and I should have been there for you. And that if my mother would just say that to me, it would make all the difference in the world. Um, but any kind of confrontation later comes to well, wasn't I entitled to have some fun? I'd spent all those years with his dad. It was awful. Or you would have just run away with him anyway. So what was I going to do? It's just, there's no responsibility on her part at all. Um, you know, the, the two things that definitely made me realize that this, you know, later in life, that the, you know, this guy was not the only thing wrong with this relationship that this was really messed up with my mom was going to a- self, a therapist that said "You do understand that your mother is your abuser for is at least fifty percent the abuser here and that she hand delivered you she groomed you, she told you you were old enough to do this. she let you be sexually active with this adult male as a child um and also, as I got older and I had friends that had their own children, and my best friend, one of my best friend's daughter got to be about 13 years old and looking at this child, she was baby, 13, and just thinking, my friend would never put her in the car and take her to a man's house and leave her there for a week or more and not call to check up on her and not and just go out and party. And tell her that she's a big girl and she's grown up and talk about their sexual exploits together. <laughs> um, so those were two of the really big lights that went off for me too later in that this is way more messed up than you thought it was. This isn't just this guy that was that this is your mom that that set it up that allowed it. And that was a really big part of it. Um and I think you know, all those years not understanding that she really had a hand in this, um, over many years, probably into my twenties or so, she gradually, my mom has a lot of health issues and she became a prescription pill addict. Um, still is. Um, so I know there is some fine lines there of what is narcissism and what is addiction. And, it's difficult to separate those or, you know, look at those as one or the other. Um, she also has, she's a hoarder and that got really bad over the years. Um, and just, I, I always felt responsible for her. I always felt like her not getting well was my fault. Um, because she always would say, you know, you don't come over to the house. You don't help me clean. You don't help me, you know, this house is, is full of stuff because you don't help me with it. Um, and then my brother and I would make plans to come and help her clean the house. She would roadblock us or do her big dramatic, I'm sick act and not let us help or throw anything away. And then again, it's it's always our fault. It's always our fault that there's something wrong. Um,
1: as far as competitiveness goes, over the years, uh-huh. did that increase over time? Because that's a big um, sign of a narcissistic parent uh, with mothers and daughters um, when it comes to these situations that they're always, no matter what you're going to do, they always have to one-up you. Was that con- continuously happening always. with
0: you? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, not not in such a, like a demonstrative way as, as she could when I was a kid. Like, I take dance class, she takes dance class. Um, kind of thing but it was um, you know just nothing I ever did was like right it was ever good enough if I had family dinner over at my house you know once I became a homeowner it was a big deal for me to have my family over and make dinner and do the family thing and she'd come over and say well I wouldn't have done it that way you know things like that it's it's a lot of just just bringing you down a notch um, you know going out in my yard and she'll just start picking weeds and it's like, well, can we just not hang out with the family? Well, I don't know how to hang out in the family when your yard is covered in weeds. I don't know why you'd even have anyone over like this. Um, it's just a lot of nothing's ever good enough for her. Nothing's ever right. No matter what you do, it's, it's not like, oh, that's great that you did this. It's, here's this one little part that you that wasn't right. It was more of that kind it morphed into more of that thing rather than a, well, you did this, I'm going to do it better. It was everything you do, I'm going to bring it down a notch.
1: So at what age did you start to have, uh, self-esteem issues or maybe self, I like to call it self-everything, self-worth issues, uh, possibly, you know, uh, Different forms of types of addiction. If that's an eating disorder, or if that is uh, mm-hmm. actual drug addiction, or any kind of uh, shopping, or anything like that, did did things manifest in certain ways? If you maybe a cutter, uh, but did you have no, issues no, when you were younger? Or like no,
0: that. Lots of serial monogamous relationships. Where I i dated a lot of I've dated a lot of addicts, and I think because of my mother's also drug addiction, I was always trying to. You know, I always attracted these fixer-uppers that, you know, I was so in love with falling in love. And then the way you show that you love someone to me was by helping them and fixing them and doing for them. Um, I've never had any drug issues. I mean, I no drinking problems, no cutting, no nothing like that, self-esteem issues. I probably started in elementary school when my friends just stopped speaking to me. I got quiet. I got you know I pulled back. I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to be seen. I wanted to be small. Um, you know, self esteem issues have been a major problem my whole life of just never ever ever feeling like I'm good enough. Um, never feeling like I add up. You know, if I walk around my house and it looks messy, I just I'll just destroy myself with just negative self talk. How could you let it get like this? How can it be this way? And I think part of that is self esteem, and part of it is too that extreme anxiety that walks that comes from walking into your mother's house when she's a hoarder, feeling able to sit down and be terrified you're going to turn into that. Um, I think my biggest fear. Which I, you know, understand is really common too. Is am I a narcissist? Because I think a lot of the behaviors and coping mechanisms I learned growing up were learned from her. That there were actions or ways of dealing with things that I adopted, but I can unlearn them too and, and recognize them. Um, I think that was a big problem with being terrified I would be just like her. Um and but it was it's just mostly manifested itself in self esteem issues and just feeling like I have to um you know I'm self employed, like you know, I had to open my own business, I had to do everything myself, I would work two or three jobs at a time, I had to overachieve, I had to be somebody worthy. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to download the new Bumble now.
1: And does that manifest itself when it comes to relationship as overdoing things when it comes to uh, love or like an anxious attachment uh, to people?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, just never feeling like I was good enough. Um, Really attracting people that were also very distant, um, where I, I feel like...
1: Unavailable people.
0: Unavailable people. And I'm in a very healthy relationship now, and I really have to fight the feeling of boredom. In the relationship, because if I don't have to constantly prove that I'm worthy, then what are we doing? It's been hard for me to just relax in a relationship that's with someone that just loves and appreciates me for who I am, where I am. It's a very new and foreign feeling. So there's there's a a lot of people
1: who are listening who have this problem and have not been able to overcome. This problem. So, can you kind of, you know, because people that have grown up in these environments, they're used to chaos. They're used to something always happening. You know, so when they're with someone who is healthy, or at least, and I'm using air quotes while saying that, oh, okay. um, that we've all got some. There, there's nothing. There's no drama, and. Yeah. Without the drama, things in our minds will say like, oh, this is boring. Uh, It is. But you are in a relationship with someone and it technically is not boring. This is just, you know, we're used to this one way. And now this is an this is another way, and this is the word we use. Okay. It's probably the wrong word to use, uh, but we all use boring. it. <laughs> yes, because we all use it. Because uh, yeah. uh, you know it's probably insulting to the to the, to the person who were. It,
0: it is, and I we've talked about that. I've told him because he didn't grow up like this. He's
1: so he's how, how does totally... it, how does he feel being described as as boring?
0: Well, when when you describe it in in the context he understands it. Um, it was hard for me to describe first and they think it, it was, I'm sure it felt hurtful to hear that. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of slumped shoulders and I'm boring, <laughs> but it's not that he's, he's not boring. He's infinitely interesting. Um, I, I think it, it is just that, what would you rather be doing? Would you rather be fighting right now? Would you rather be, Running yourself crazy, feeling like you're not good enough, I have to constantly remind myself that it's okay. It's okay to just be. and and I, I've gotten better at bringing it up when it starts to feel I don't know what else other use, word to use other than that 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 poke on your side, like, hey, you're feeling kind of boring. You need to stir the pot. You need to poke the hornet's nest. I've caught myself. Wanting to pick fight or wanting to see flights where there aren't any um, and having to reel myself in a lot and not do that, and keeping that appointment with my therapist to talk about that thing
1: and is it you know i because i'm I'm thinking here about this process right now and in a way is it a a specific amount of abundant of energy it might be a negative energy have you learned have you had to try to learn how to take that energy and put it somewhere else where that can be fulfilled in a way if that makes sense yeah yes so how have Um, you how have you done that
0: i think that well it's interesting because (laughs) being that I don't know whether this is going to air or anything, but being, you know, kind of self-quarantined right now um, because of this virus and having to stay at home. Um, we have definitely been fighting more, and which I think everyone is in some way or another. And it is a fairly new it's eight-month-old relationship. So it's, it's pretty new. Um, but we're fighting more than ever because I don't have my outlet. I don't have, um, you know, going to the gym is a big one. Just being able to get my energy out to have a challenging thing, to, to have a challenge to go meet for that hour and wearing myself out trying to get to that challenge, trying to meet that challenge um, has been a huge help. I was never really, I mean, I was a dancer when I was younger and then I wasn't very active through my 20s and up to my mid-30s, um, but in the past couple of years, um, going to the gym more has just been a huge help. Um, and not having that now, I think has been difficult for us.
1: And I, I got uh, sidetracked back into the whole relationship part, but getting back to your mom, <laughs> getting back to your mom, uh-huh. yeah. um, so after you left, let's say the home, Um, Mm -hmm. and now you are an, uh, adult, even though you might be just 18, I don't know when you left your home. Um, Mm -hmm. as far as how the,
0: 17,
1: 17, how did I guess Uh the relationship from that point on change and as far as, uh, obligations and and guilt, um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of from that point on and how was it affecting your life? Uh, As an adult. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, I think over the year, you know, we still had this, like, really good friends type relationship. Um, And it just, you know, the hoarding started. She was married to another man for most of my 20. I think they got married when I was uh, maybe 17 or so. And then they got divorced maybe... Love. Seven or eight years ago, um, that was a whole other thing. She suddenly just left him right after he retired, and pretty much took him for every penny that she could. Um, she her her prescription drug use started getting worse and worse. Um, her hoarding got worse and worse. Um, it was a lot of things like. It, a lot of it was related to the, the drug use and her, um, she has uh, chronic pain problems. She has like degenerative disc disease. She has chronic migraines, which I also have. Um, she, her, her sickness though seems to have really taken it on her identity um, her whole life revolves re- around going to these different pain clinics, getting pain medications, things like that. And it just started to, it, you know, my brothers and I really started to notice that it was affecting things like um, if we had a family gathering, hey, everybody come over 7 o'clock, we're going to have dinner. We'd get there at 7, she'd still be in her robe and not having done anything. It's like, well, that's okay, you could have canceled, but now we're all here. What do we do? Um, things like her having to go to the emergency room a lot because she, you know, we started realizing more and more that she was overusing her medication. She was going into detox. We'd have to go get her at the hospital um, because she would fake some sort of incident that would get her pain medication. And that just kept happening over and over. Um, and then just more and more of the like bewittling type things that that kept happening of, um, you never help me, you never come over. So I really took that on personally, like, well, if I'm not helping, she's not getting better. It must be my fault. Um, and and I think that even got into my profession of being a massage therapist of, you know, maybe I can help her this way. And, um, just always wanting, you know, I just kind of became this person that's always the helper. I'm the person that people call when they need something. I'm the person that people call when they're in pain. I'm the person that people call when they need the friend therapist. Um, it's just kind of how that kept going on in my life. Um, I had one incident where I was getting ready to go to work, and she called me. I was getting ready to leave for work. I had clients scheduled, had to go. She called me and she gave me this big story about how she'd had an electrician coming to the house. So she was scared he was going to steal her medication. So she had hidden it, but now she couldn't find it. So she was in so much pain because she didn't have her pain medication, which was probably a story. she had probably just taken it all. Um, and she needed me to take her to the doc. She needed to take her to the hospital because she was, she's just in too much pain. She couldn't handle it. She needed to go to the hospital. And I said, well, you know, you need to, Call your husband, who's working right down the street, or, you know, I have to go to work. I can't afford to not go to work. I can't just cancel my clients ten minutes before. Like I get you're in pain, but the hospital's three blocks away. It was literally three blocks from our house. Um, so I'm getting ready to get my car to go to work, and we're still on the phone. And she says, "Well, I guess it won't matter because I'll be." dead by the time you talk to me next time because I'm going to shoot myself and hung up on me. So it's a lot of manipulation. Mm-hmm. Shit like that, um, And that became like a big thing too. It was like, if you don't take me to the hospital, if you don't take me to get my drugs, I'll kill myself. So that started becoming a theme of manipulation. Um, and it was just anytime we would go to our house, it was all about I, was in, I, I read this, there's a book the book I read called, uh, I think it's called Will I Ever Be Good Enough?
1: By Dr. Carol McBride.
0: Yeah, specifically for daughters of narcissistic mothers. And one of the big things that was just like, holy shit, was these mothers that use pain as their identity and as a deflection thing. You'll go to her house and she'll be like, oh, I'm going to cook you guys dinner and everything's going to be, you know, we're going to have a family gathering. Or why not, you know, just come over and hang out. And five minutes into of hanging there, she'll just be in the kitchen just... you know, just this dramatic sighing and just, it's so overly fake and dramatic and just, I'm in so much pain. And, you know, she wants you to come in and be like, what's wrong, mom? What can I do? How can I help you? Um, And then if you don't do that, then she lashes out, well, you never do anything to help me. And, you know, and that specific thing being in the book, I just never even heard of anybody else experiencing that. Um, it's just a lot of little things over the years, That just all the, you know, I can give the example of, God, there's so many stories. Um, I, it, I, I hesitate to use this one because I think it's more my brother's story in a way, but it was his wedding. Um, my brother's. Uh, fiance at the time, they were getting ready to get married, they were going to do it on a budget it was going to be just a small little gathering she found found a a dress that she liked at Goodwill which was really cool but she wanted some alterations done to it, my mother said well give me the dress I'll do it she didn't tell us that she'd given my mother the dress to alter until a couple days before the wedding and my brother and I just kind of looked at each other like what have you done, it's not going to be done She's like, oh, no, don't worry. Your mom said she would finish my dress. This poor woman on her wedding day, my brother, we're all sitting there waiting for the wedding to start. My mother's not there. My stepdad had brought the dress with him, still pinned together on her wedding day. Not done. She'd had months. My mom had, had months to fix the dress. And if you couldn't fix the dress, just tell her to go take it to a tailor to, or alterations to get it done. Um, my poor stepdad shows up with this dress kind of pinned together. So my sister-in-law and her mother, and they're trying to fix this dress to get ready for this wedding. The wedding's ready to start. My mother still isn't there. My stepdad's there. Where's mom? I don't know. I bought the dress. I don't know where she's at. She, wasn't, she was not still in bed when I left. There's her son's wedding. And, and he's her favorite, too. <laughs> she... The bride is in, her, in the room, you know, standing behind the door waiting to walk down the aisle. My mom walks in in a shorts and a tank top with a duffel bag ready to do her whole, put her dress on and put her makeup on while we're all sitting there waiting for the wedding to start looking down the aisle. And she storms in crying and saying, I just, I think my marriage is over. I just, we got in a fight today and I just don't know what to do. And the wedding's about to start. So then she got, we had, to, we had to sit there and wait for a good, at least 30, 40 minutes while she got dressed, holding up the wedding, so she could make her grand entrance down the aisle. Families have a lot going on. that she's done to bring. It's all about her. It's all about bringing attention to herself.
1: Was your brother's relationship with your mom at least decent before that? And was that a big catalyst for a change?
0: No. Yeah. <laughs> yes and no. Uh, their relationship has, a, you know, he didn't live with her as a teenager. So I think he escaped uh, a lot of that. He lived, he stayed with my dad. Um, he's her favorite. He's the baby. Um, she still lashes out at him. I feel bad. He's really the only one that has a relationship with her now because she, um, and she relies on him heavily. He's also quite religious and for him, for him, um, he wants the experience of having his mother in his life and loving her for all her faults and that's his own way of doing that. Um, and how, so, how is
1: your relationship with your brother, both of your brothers, uh, uh, when it comes to your mom and is it, uh, are they healthy or are you guys a fragmented no. group? Uh,
0: my brothers, all three of us, all three of the siblings are very close. We, we are very close. I can talk very frankly with either of my brothers about what's going on with her. Um, my younger brother does, you know, say I do want a relationship with her. I'm not, you know, that's not. An option to me to cut off contact. My older brother has two small children um, and because of her hoarding situation, it's not safe for the children to even go into her house. So they have limited contact. They have to like meet her in public somewhere if she bothers to show up at all. Um, like I said, my older brother did not live with us when I was a kid. Excuse me. <laughs> so much talking
1: so Um, do do you all uh, he has a different dad than you
0: he does Yeah. Um, but my father did not legally adopt him but did claim him Um, he has all the you know comes to all the same function my dad says this is my son this is you know my dad claims him for sure Um, my older brother's father is deceased um, they had a horrible relationship. They were estranged for a couple of years. Again, that's kind of his story to tell. Um, I will say it wasn't until like recently that I really sat down with my brother and said, why didn't you live with us? And I think he felt very abandoned by my mother. Um, his father had been very abusive. And I think when my mom got remarried, she just kind of moved on and said, I have a new life now mm-hmm. and I'm going to have new kids. And she just, she didn't fight for him and I think she he was in a bad situation and she should have fought for him and she didn't but again that's kind of his story to tell mm-hmm. and I don't want to get too much into that
1: so uh, eventually in your relationship with your mom you're going through mm-hmm. all of this stuff but I guess there's one point where you say, "Hold on one second. may I don't know if you read something or you were at the therapist and the therapist says, "'Your mom is a narcissist. Here's this stuff to read it uh, was yeah. was there an event like that, And then what happened to you after that? Like, did your brain just pop okay. at that point?
0: Kind of um, i i It started really coming up more and more like i would I would just have these horrendous bouts of depression. Um, feeling like I just wasn't good enough, feeling like I just couldn't, I just, I was never going to be good enough. Um, you know, all these problems with my mom being sick all the time, having drug problems and feeling somehow responsible for that. I decided that, you know, I'd been given antidepressants off and on for years. They don't work well with me. I just did not find any, um, help from that. So I decided to start going to therapy. And when um, when I started going to therapy and had that therapist that said to me, you know, your mother was sexually abusing you and being abusive to you because of her allowing this relationship, this inappropriate relationship with you when you were younger. That was a huge. That was huge. You know, I remember even arguing with her and being like, no, my mom's not abusive. And not believing her. And she said, "No, you were a thirteen-year-old child, and your mother was allowing you to have a sexual and abusive relationship with an adult man. Tell me that's okay. Tell me that that was an okay thing to do." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I was a different. I was different. I was older, and I, I was older for my age, and I, I argued with her, and it just—it was just like everything just fell apart for a couple of." really years of therapy of just like, it just, it had never occurred to me that she was abusive to me. (laughs) I thought she was my best friend and there was something wrong with me because she was sick because I wasn't doing enough or, you know, we had to fix this, this addiction or whatever was going on with her. Um, She didn't want to be fixed. She wanted to keep abusing drugs. She wanted to keep abusing us. And that was kind of when it started, um, was just having someone have to tell me. And then I had a, my second therapist that I had, when things started getting really bad, and I started recognizing these things and all these things started coming up, a, a big light went off when she said, you know, you don't, you're not obligated to have a relationship with this person just because she's your mother. never occurred to me. It had never occurred to me that I didn't have to have a relationship with my mother. I thought it was my job and my duty. That's what you do. She's your mother. You have to have a relationship with your mother. (laughs) And if there's something wrong with it, you have to fix it. Um, But it wasn't for many years later until um, I did go no contact. That was two, maybe three years ago. Um, so it was a lot of, you know, picking up books and reading things and kind of distancing myself. I think it was a, a gradual distancing over the years. Um, I even went to go live at a yoga retreat center in Tennessee for two years for a while to kind of help find myself again. Um, so, and to so, live in community that felt like family.
1: So did you have at that point, um, an identity crisis at all?
0: I don't know that I ever really had an identity crisis. Like I said about being younger, I wasn't really, I don't, I think my, my, my parents were more like neglectful rather than, you know, lots of rules of telling me I had to do things. Um, I think it was a, a lot of mourning from my childhood and being able to come to terms with my past and what it really meant and how it had formed me and how it had formed my relationships and taking responsibility as an adult. Like, these aren't your circumstances anymore, and it's up to you to decide how you proceed from this moment forward. Um, But I don't think I ever had really an identity. I was always a weirdo. It's always (laughs) different. I was always the black sheep in the family. I was always, yeah, I'm going to go be a massage therapist, and I'm going to go live in a retreat center in Tennessee. And, you know, the family's like, yeah, that adds up. She's strange. Um, I was always a little different. Um, but I think it was just a, a process of learning how to love myself. Um, and living at that retreat center, I lived it. It was living in community. It was a small staff of us living in community. Like, get up every morning. We all cook breakfast together. And we all wash the dishes together. And we all do, it was like living in a family. And learning things like, I had never heard of things like nonviolent communication and owning what your own feelings and not having to blame anymore what you know, I spent a lot of time being really angry. Well, I'm this way because of her. Okay, well what do you want to do about it now?
1: So at this facility you learn things like nonviolent communication? Uh-huh.
0: Yes. Like not it, like I took the actual courses or anything, but they just live it okay, that's just who but, they are and but, how they are, constantly. but did they
1: but did, did they explain that that's what the conversation oh, yeah. was okay, that's a, that's interesting,
0: yeah, yeah, um, and you know it was a lot of you know, I was there too, you know, I was a housekeeper and i I'm a massage therapist, and that's what I did with the clients there and um it was just a lot of how this is how families function, you know if something is wrong, you're allowed to speak your truth. And every, you know, any kind of conversation, there was always, you know, it was like a passing of the talking stick. You have a voice. You're allowed to say if something is hurting you or if something's bothering you. You don't have to bottle it up. We can just talk about it and get it over with. Um, there was a lot of learning about communication and responsibility for your own feelings and your own actions and um, how to have boundaries. I had I'd never heard of boundaries before. I didn't know what that was. You're allowed to have boundaries, but she's your mother. She can do whatever she wants. Um, That was a big big learning experience of just kind of how to be an adult. I think my my teaching of how to communicate and how to grow up and how to be a person stopped very young. It stopped around that 12, 13, 14-year-old age. And I had a lot of catching up to do in some respects. I knew how to pay bills and work a job, but how to have personal relationships and communication was something I had to learn later.
1: So how did you find that place?
0: Um, just through my own yoga. You know, I had done yoga practice and had been a massage therapist, and I went there as a student um, and kept going back year after year because I really... um. I just really found something there that I'd never found in the outside world. Um, I came there as a student maybe once a year for about, you know, three to five days. And I would always, I was there one day and I just asked them, I said, can I come here and live here and work for a season? And they just said, yeah, okay, you can do that.
1: So after after you uh, left there... And mm-hmm. you, different <laughs> you're you a different person as yeah. far as relationships and how things were going from uh, that point on. Was there a lot of trial and error of learning everything you used? Yeah. And how did that go?
0: Yeah, yeah. let's just build relationships. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I had some, I think I was, I was definitely learning. I was having better um, romantic relationships. Um, you know, just because they didn't last doesn't mean they were a failure. Um, But I think they got better. You know, I've had two or three relationships since leaving there. I left in 2012. Um, I've gotten better and better at it. And, you know, I can't say. I I was definitely moving through them with a lot more purpose and intention than I'd ever had before. And communication skills and ownership that I'd never had before and that's that just it just felt really freeing to have you know boundaries and ownership over my own experiences and relationships. And definitely once I moved back I had less and less contact with my mother. It was it was just dwindling down less and less and less as she just became worse and more difficult to hang out with and be around. Um So did you ever have a
1: moment where you said officially, like, I'm not talking to you anymore, or did it just kind of slowly go
0: away? So the big kind of final um, incident in our relationship was she kept kind of um, just berating me a lot about being single and how I wasn't married. And, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. And I don't know why you, you know, meanwhile, she's single and living alone and hoarding and wearing her bathrobe all day, but for some reason, she kept fixating on me being single and how horrible it was and um, how I needed a man in my life, and she was living in this apartment, and she had started talking to this neighbor of hers that lived in a house across the street, and he was probably closer to her age, and... She, ca- she calls me one day and says, I've got this guy I'd really like for you to meet. He's my neighbor. He's a widower. He's so nice. And then she told me that he was kind of her age. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. I don't want to date right now. I'm not into it. She got very angry with me and said, you know, well, I just don't understand. He's a perfectly nice man, and you need a good man in your life. I don't understand why you won't meet him. I'm setting this up for you. You're ungrateful. She got angry. Um, like i mentioned before, I'm a massage therapist. Um, I do most of my, most of my booking when clients go to make an appointment with me, they book online. Uh, most of my clients are referrals from other clients. I don't advertise. So it, um, usually if I get a new client, I just figure someone else sent them. So I was at work. I happened to be in the office alone that day, which really set me off. Um, and this new client showed up. It was a man. I said, oh, nice to meet you. Here's your paperwork. Go ahead and fill this out. We'll talk a little bit. He fills out his paperwork. I look at it referred by my mother. Look at his address. He was right across the street from her. She sent this man to my office. So I would have to touch him for an hour. Because I'm a professional, I did my job. He was obviously very nervous. It was so weird. Um, I just, I didn't know what to do. I kind of, I kind of froze, you know, because I feel like in a way this guy was kind of as ignorant about what was really going on as I was. I don't know what she told him. So I did the hour. I did my job. He was nice. We chatted a little bit. Have a nice day. See you later. And after it was over, I I was just shaking. I just, I couldn't believe she had sent this man to my place of business. Not just like I work retail and like, hey, just chatter up over the counter. I have to touch this man for a full hour. A few minutes later, my phone rings and it's my mother. And I'm just shaking. I'm so upset. And she's like, so what did you think? Isn't he nice? And I'm just like, I I don't even know what to say to you. I told you I'm not interested, and you sent this man to my business in a romantic manner, especially with what I do for a living. Enough people don't take my job seriously. How could you do that to me? And she just says, wow, I literally just delivered you a good man to your door, and you can't be thankful. I can't believe you and she hung up on me and so I you know I just kind of quit talking to her for a while and I just I couldn't believe it you know I told my brother about my younger brother about it and he's like wow that's that's really crazy I can't believe she did that yeah that sounds about right she's she's pretty nuts um a couple months later my brother says, you know, mom needs help with us. She's ready to get some of this hoarding mess out of the way. We really need to do something. Her apartment people are on her about it. Will you help me? Yes, I'll help you. But don't make me talk to her. He said, okay, it's fine. I'll be there. I'll, I'll buffer. Just please help me. So I went there to help my brother. And we weren't there for very long. And she's a smoker. She opens up her window. She looks like smoke in her apartment. She opens up her window. She lights up a cigarette. She turns around. And she says, no, I guess you haven't called my neighbor back then, have you? I know what you did. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. What neighbor? I told you this was off the table. Not interested. I don't want to talk to you about this. What the hell? And she's like, you know, I just don't understand you. I, del- I hand-delivered a good man to you, and you just can't. You just couldn't talk to him. You just couldn't do it. And, I, and I, know, I know about those pictures you sent him, too. I'm like, Perfect. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. They're um, like, what, what are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? And she explains some pictures he had on his telephone that he had showed her. And the two that she described were just some cute pictures I had taken of myself. And I have had them on my Instagram account. And obviously, this guy had looked me up on Instagram and had either screenshotted or my mom doesn't understand how Instagram works or whatever. But she's like, I know you sent him pictures of yourself to tease him. I know how you are. I know what you're like. And me and my brother are looking at each other like, what the fuck is happening? What's happening right now? And she says, I think you need to come apologize to him. And I'm like, I'm not going to talk to this crazy person. I don't know. I I am not interested. This person does not exist to me. I'm not interested. I don't know what you're talking about. He obviously took those pictures from my social media, which I should have made private, which I will now do. She's like, no, I know what you did. I know you sent them to him. I'm like, I am your daughter. This is your neighbor. I'm asking you to believe me. I am the person you gave birth to. I am, you don't, you barely even know this guy. Stop talking about him. I didn't do this. And she's like... You can say whatever you want. I know how you are. I know what you did. And my brother just looks at me and he's like, I think you should just go Just, Just leave. This isn't going to be good. And so I left. And I called my brother later and said, I, I just don't think I can talk to this person again. I, I can't do this. This is crazy. I can't. I can't have her belittle me telling me I'm worthless without this man that I don't even know. I can't have her say, like, I can't do this anymore. And I kind of decided right then and there, I was just going to, I I I can't, I can't, a gun. And then my brother calls me and he says, you know, this was a couple of months later even. And he says, you, I need your help. I am working overtime. I can't do this. Mom is really sick. She's been to the ER twice, three times, whatever. She's really, really sick. Nobody knows what's wrong. I need you to go over there and help her. Um. So my mom, I did go over there, and for once in her life, she really was. She was very, very sick. Um, She ended up in isolation in the hospital later on. She was sick, but she had cried wolf so many times at the hospital. Nobody believed her. Um, I go to her house. She's got this, like, major, could not make it graphic, she's got a major GI issue that's left a lot of messes in her bed and all over the house. So suddenly now it's literally my job to clean her shit. And I'm just trying to get it done and get it cleaned up so my brother can take it to the doctor the next morning. And I remember sitting there and trying to clean all the cleaning carpet, trying to clean her bed. It's hoarded so badly I can't take the sheets off because she sleeps in one corner of the bed. And I'm just like, I'm not here to talk to you. I'm not here to socialize. I'm just here to make sure that you're taken care of, that we get you to the doctor, that you're okay. And she does it again. She's like, well, not that, I mean, that's fine. You can help me. But I really think you need to go over and apologize to my neighbor. She brings it up again. She does it again. And that, that was the and that was the moment. It just snapped. And I was like, I'm done. I'm never, I, I just unleashed. And I said, I'm so sick of you putting men in front of me my whole life. All you have ever done is put men first and put some stupid boyfriend in front of me, you you gave me to him while you, so you could run around with a man, you, just all these things that you've done over the years, and of course she comes into this, well, I can't believe you're bringing that stuff up from your childhood, you know, you had a great childhood, I was entitled to go have some fun, I had raised my kids, I did my job, you know, just blaming me, and then she, um, You know, and I just, I just stopped and I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. She's not going to change. She can't change. You've read enough about this. You know, she's not capable. She's not capable of taking responsibility and she just keeps going on and on yelling at me. And I just finally, I just, you know, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with you treating me like shit. And I said, fuck you. I wish I hadn't done that. And I slammed the door and I left and I have not talked to her since
1: then. And that was Mm -hmm. three years ago?
0: About three years ago. Three years ago? Yeah.
1: And did you uh, have a lot of guilt at the beginning? And has that subsided?
0: (laughs) The first thing I felt was I was like euphoric. I was like, holy shit, I'd never have to talk to her again. This is the best thing I've ever done my whole life. I feel so done. I'm free. I am freeing myself right now. I'm done. This is great. Um but anyone that's ever go, gone no contact probably understands that it's not that simple. Um there, there are some people my brothers both say they understand they they support me and and even have gone as far as to say they support me in my decision, um, have not treated me badly or anything. They they get it. Um, surprisingly, it's been my dad that doesn't get it. He's like, I know, she's kind of crazy, but it's your mom. Come on, what are you going to do? Just, like, not see her again till her funeral? You know, That's kind of the plan. Um... But then, you know, second guessing my even like just this conversation with you today, you know, second guessing myself. Is it really that bad? Yes. Is it is it really that bad?
1: I'm listening to your story. Yeah, <laughs> it I, is.
0: <laughs> should I even tell this? Like is it important? Is it you know, I, I have that constant voice of her saying you're just you're just being entitled. There's nothing wrong. Like it was all you. It was your life wasn't that bad. You turned out fine. You were grown up. You're a survivor. You did it. You're, there's nothing wrong with you. Why are you? Why are you focusing on this? Why? Aren't, why won't you just make up with her and forgive her? And I have empathy for her. I'm really glad I'm me and not her. I couldn't imagine what it's like to live in that mind and that body. I don't know how to forgive her. I don't really know what that means. Really. Um, I've meditated on the word forgiveness a lot and I I I don't get it. I don't know how that feels or how to make that a thing. Um, You know, she came from a pretty bad background. Both of her parents are pretty hardcore alcoholics. Her mother died of heart disease. Her father died of liver cirrhosis and emphysema. Um, To the best of my knowledge, I think she was Sexually abused as a child. Um, I know she started getting migraines very young. I think that was the only way she could get any control to make the world stop around her. In a way, um, but it, it's it's a back and forth. It's a you know, like if it were a normal non-quarantine world. Today is her birthday, and my brother and I would be taking her to the Olive Garden, her favorite restaurant, where she would order everything on the menu and get two more meals for takeout out because we're paying for it. So <laughs> that's not my day today. Um,
1: but you you answered you know your question before which was um this person's never gonna change. No. And the only thing she that can can't. the only thing that can change is you and how you mm-hmm deal with this person or decide to not deal with this person because that yeah. person is only done hurtful things to you your whole life. Yeah. And you deserve to not live in that anymore. And you, you deserve huh. that.
0: I think that, I think that, I think that's the hardest part is just that there will never be an apology there will never, she'll never have that moment where she's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. Never going to happen. I'm not going to get that.
1: Yeah. I had an episode (laughs) of of our other podcast called, uh, our narcissist apocalypse Q and a podcast. And we had a therapist on Uh uh, Debbie Tudor who actually learned, uh, a lot from, uh, Dr. Carol McBride herself. She took her, her program Uh and, you know, I asked a question on that show for someone about their issue when their mom passed away because they felt that they had dealt with everything and when their mom passed away, they were oh, I'm terrified of that day they were they were upset, and their question was like how come they were upset because they didn't they you know they didn't have a relationship with their mom they thought they thought they dealt with everything and mm-hmm. and their the response she gave and the answer to that question was that you're not mourning your mom's death you're really mourning that you know while your mom was alive you always felt that maybe your mom might change even though you know they wouldn't she wouldn't have changed but right. when there's just the finality when the, your mom passes away the finality of you never got that apology you never yeah. got that and you're mourning you're, you'll you'll mourn that you're going to be mourning. Well, I
0: mourn. I, I mourn not getting the apology, and I mourn her just being so miserable. Her decision to stay so miserable. I guess it's not a decision, but
1: but also mourning the love that you she's a you never received. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and well, and just again, it's kind of that empathy to thing too. I feel so bad for her. She's a miserable person. And she'll never, she'll never, she literally wakes up. She barely ever gets dressed. She shuffles around her or reclines over her piles of crap in her hoarder apartment. Nobody really wants to visit her and nobody likes her. And she eats pills and that's her day. I
1: I know someone, I I know someone who is probably of your mom's age. Um, Mm -hmm i won 't name names, but uh they're not related to me uh, they they don't have a drug problem, but you know they are someone who you know is miserable, just a miserable person and mm-hmm. wants to make no matter what situation always about them and make everything miserable um, yeah and that person um is extremely low contact with that person, with that parent uh, and yeah. for many years um, they were no contact completely but for the sake of grandchildren it has gone extremely uh-huh. low contact and really leaves it up uh-huh. to the grandchildren or the, the their children uh, what uh-huh. kind of contact they want with them as they've gotten older but it's moving probably towards Eventually, no contact because the grandchildren, the they well, the children um, have really figured out this person and just don't like being around them at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my older brother, his kids are her three, like two and four, and she's probably only seen them a handful of times. And you know, even the oldest one um, had his birthday recently, and my brother just sent me a picture he had taken of the birthday card. My mom sent in the mail and she addressed it to, um, it said to Michael, that's not his name. There's nobody in the house named that. She doesn't even know her grandchild's name. It's yeah. She, you know, and they still have contact with her, but I don't, I don't know for how long Mm -hmm. they will, you know, she's got a, four-year-old grandson and she she can't even remember his name
1: so as far as you right now in therapy Mm -hmm. so i guess you're working in therapy with this situation Mm -hmm. still in the sense of um you know your own wavering back and forth of guilt Mm -hmm. of guilt
0: yes it kind of it, it ebbs and flows. I'll be great, you know, and I I kind of go to therapy on an as-needed basis right now, A, because it's so expensive. Um, I've gone to therapists that charge by, you know, my income, but right now um, the one that I found, the one that works, is she's really expensive, but I get so much more out of it that it's worth it. Um, I kind of just go see her on an as-needed basis, and I feel like even just that one hour, can set me right for a couple of months. I've done some EMDR therapy. I think to help with a lot of the, the trauma um, from the ex boyfriend, um, and that's that's been really helpful. I feel like that was just a huge weight that just I felt like I just processed and it was just gone. Just, that's just kind of the whole point of the EMDR, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a you know when I it sneaks up on you. Um, it, I'll just start feeling really depressed and down on myself and I have to really you know once I'm in it, I ha- kind of have to stop and say, okay, what are you really feeling here? What is this really about? And, you know, more often than not, it can be related to, you know, like, oh, today is her birthday. You know, will I get a crap letter in the mail saying what a horrible daughter I am because I didn't celebrate it. Um, there's a lot of guilt that comes up, but it gets it gets fewer and further between. Um, I think I'm more just focusing now on how to have a um, how to have a happy and successful romantic relationship too and not feel that feeling like there's something missing because it's not because it is healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: So um, so before kind of uh, so before we end the show, is there stuff that I haven't kind of gone over and uh, mm-hmm. and do you have any words um, of wisdom as well for everyone who's kind of going no. through or has been going through the same thing that you did and has not uh, processed anything?
0: Oh gosh, who am I? I'm no authority. Um, <laughs> I, I think th- the no contact thing is probably one of the things I need it the most. Help with. Um, it's hard to know who to share that with that you, that you don't talk to your mother. Um, when you do find those people, know that they too are being cautious about talking about it, but try to make it an open invitation that you can, you know, kind of have that bonding over it. Um, I've met a couple friends that I've, um, that are no no contact with a parent and. I've gotten a little better, not pushing them to open up, but giving them the space to open up about it. And there, I I haven't met a lot of people, but it's, it's not nice to know that they're out there, but it's, it's, it's validating. Um, but it's, I mean, if someone is just hurting you constantly, every single time you ever interact with them and, Really, it's only your decision to make to go no contact, and that's what I had to realize. I just, I couldn't wait for permission um, from the rest of my family or my friends or my community. I just, I had to make that decision for myself, I had to get myself permission.
1: Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. I know um, a lot of this was tough to. Uh, yeah. just to, to discuss today and could have been re-traumatizing possibly. And, and you still came on, uh, to share your story, to help other people. And I really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, thank you. I thought, uh, I think you're going to, this episode is going to help a lot of people. So I really want to also- thank you from the bottom of my heart, um, for being here today and, uh, sharing your story, sharing your truth. And, um, you know, I'm sending you big virtual hugs and, uh, thank you, um, from me and everyone who was listening. Hi everyone. You thought the show was over, but Ashley wanted to add one more thing. So again, the floor is now yours.
0: Okay. Um, it's just one of those, um, things that's just kind of important to feeling, I guess, Maybe even to me that yes, this is narcissism. Um, my 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 grandmother passed away. Um, about yeah, I guess it was about no, was four years ago. She passed away four years ago. This is my father's mother. Um, my mom, after their divorce, still kept a relationship with her in laws, my grandparents, and. Um, Maybe even a bit inappropriately so, but you know, I don't know. That's that's all, that's between them. But um, when my grandmother passed away, um, she had had Alzheimer's. She passed away at ninety-one. She had a great full life. Um, we all got together: my dad, my grandfather, my brother, stepmom. Um, you know, and made the funeral arrangements. We all got together the night that she died, and we sat down and wrote her obituary together. And it was a really beautiful process, and it was a really good. um, I'd never taken part in arrangements after a death before, and it was really good to feel included in that. Um, At the funeral, um, my so of course my mom came to the funeral, which is expected. It's understandable. Um, We were. It was freezing. I think it was that's February. It was freezing. There's snow. We're standing at the grave site. Final words have been said. People are walking back out to their cars. My mom bursts into a full blown wail. <laughs> Just <sighs> crying. It's a little much. Nobody else is doing this. Most of the people walk back to their cars. I'm standing next to her. And I kind of put my arm around her awkwardly and I'm like, I understand, you know, it's I'm sorry. I know this is really hard for you. And I said, you know, I know that you love her too, and I know that, you know, your your sadness is valid. I something like that, something validating. And she says, That's not why I'm crying. I'm like, Okay, what's going on? Why are you crying? I can't believe none of you thought to put my name in her obituary. So that's my story. That was kind of the that was a big that one. sums it all up right there. That's that's my mother. That's my mom. <laughs> Real proud. So I felt like that was important to add in. And she also put food from her the, the church ladies put together in her purse to take home for later. So, yeah.
1: well, thank you for that last story.
0: That was my add-on. Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. And. Thanks. Uh, for the second time, or if depending on when I, how I edit this and thank you okay. for showing up here today, everyone, I'm rambling. I hope everyone has a good night.